to say good morning to you and want to thank God for bringing us to this place again, a place of worship, especially at this hour. And my prayer is that you have been able up to this point to rid your mind of worldly distractions and concerns and worries and cares. Put them aside a moment so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. There is indeed a word from the Lord today. There's always a word from the Lord. We just have to go in and get it. Or we have to pay attention. Sometimes it's just a matter of paying attention to that still, small voice that he speaks to us using. And I want to thank him this morning for bringing every one of you to this place and for those who are joining us today on Zoom for the same reason, and that is to give honor and praise to the great God that we serve, whose name is Jehovah. I want to hasten on because our time is, is well spent and I love the fact that we uh, put that time in. It's important that we put the devotional time in. Uh, the, the prayers, the, the songs uh, all lead up to something. Uh, and this is that something when the word of God is actually spoken to us. And, and hopefully by the time we reach this moment, we're ready to hear the word of God. The singing has been such that it has lifted us up. The reading of the scriptures has brought with it a certain amount of anticipation of hearing the message from the Lord. The prayers that are ushered in behalf of all mankind ought to have convicted us and touched our hearts as we think about those who have made specific requests to God. So we're glad to be here and I hope that you are where I am right now. And if you aren't, then I would ask that you, so that you don't miss the point of today's lesson, focus in right now. If you need to take 30 seconds and clear your mind, do that. Use that same 30 seconds to turn your phone off. <laughs> Tell the folk next to you to stop talking to you. You don't want to be bothered for at least the next 25 minutes or so. Whatever could be distracting you right now, and especially for those of us on Zoom, those of you on Zoom, because you know being at home, there are a lot of distractions that can happen. You know, and, and I think that we have to make it our business, even before we come, to clear those things away, to make sure that the word of God is not interrupted and we're thrown off track as we consider the word today. I want to talk about infections today. Is that relevant enough for you? The impact of the sacrifice of our Redeemer is so great in the world that those who read about him or simply hear about him 
are affected by him. There is no knowledge of him that does not prompt a response. One will either love him or despise him. In scripture, John refers to him as the, law of, as the Lion of Judah in Revelations 5, 5, and the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star in Revelations 22, 16. Solomon refers to him as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse number 1, Ezekiel called him a wheel in the middle of a wheel. In Ezekiel 10, 9 and 10, and Paul refers to him as the head of the church and the savior of the body. In Ephesians 5, 23, his church today is the infectious disease clinic for sinners. And he is the infectious disease specialist sent by God from heaven. And we call him Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, Behold unto us a son is born, a, a, a son is given, a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be called Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now, let me proceed by, by talking about 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and 16 just for a moment because that's the only place in the scriptures where we find, I think, the, the use of the word addicted. Even most translations of that particular verse use the word devoted. We know that the house of Stephanus, the first converts in Achaia, devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. But I want it in the context of today's lesson to use a stronger word. And thank God the new King, uh, the King James Version gives us that strong word, addicted. I want to use addicted because if you are addicted to something, the suggestion is you have lost control in that area of addiction. You're no longer in control. What you're addicted to is in control of you. You don't tell it what to do. It tells you what to do. Some of us who have dealt with addictions in our lives know about addiction. It's nothing to play with. Whatever you're addicted to, the suggestion is that you have lost control and something else is in charge. In that light this morning, I want to talk about good infection. Mm -hmm. Just stay with me. Infections are not new to us. 
We've dealt with infections of one kind or another all of our lives. And now we're dealing with another infection that is easily transmitted. It is contagious and it causes chronic symptoms. Infections usually affect our whole body, including our attitude, our mindset, our body functions, sometimes even ending in death. Hmm. But I want to say to you this morning, infections can be good. I say infections can be good if we're infected with the right thing. Infections are good if we are infected with the right thing. And in drawing the parallel today, I want to suggest to you today that there are some things every Christian ought to be infected with. Some things about us that are contagious. Uh-huh. And to which we are addicted. Often, you'll remember when the disciples would teach, they were described as having been out of their minds for teaching that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. In Mark chapter 3, verse number 21, the scriptures say that even while Jesus was preaching in Nazareth and when he started his ministry, that his family thought he was crazy. They went outside to try to hold him down and try to talk some sense into Jesus because he was talking about being more than they thought he was. So as the villagers in Nazareth came to Jesus' family and said, what's wrong with your brother? What's wrong with your son. He's acting mighty strange. And the Bible says in that 21st verse that his family went out and tried to talk to him because they were sure in their minds that he had lost his mind. Festus told Paul in Acts chapter 26, verse number 24, too much learning has made you mad, Paul. You've been studying the word too much. And you're talking this foolishness to me. I'm convinced that you have studied to the point that it has caused you to go mad. Jesus was blasphemed and told he had a demon in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, because the folk didn't understand they all suffered from an infection that would not allow them to speak anything other than the truth regardless of the audience. Regardless of the audience. Also, 
what they taught was contagious. We know it was contagious as it spread all over the then known world. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible talks about the, 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 the fact that the word of God was being preached so powerfully that many people were coming. And Acts chapter 6 as well speaks to that. In Acts chapter 11, we, all, we see where the word of God, even because of the persecution, the church went everywhere into Cilicia and Phrygia and other places preaching the word of God. Not even persecution could stop them from spreading the word of God because they were addicted and the word is contagious. And the disciples had the disease. I want to continue by saying to you today that they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. Some things are greater, something greater inside them drove them to do what they were doing. In other words, they couldn't help themselves. I want you to think about that. Because when you're addicted to something and when it is contagious, and, 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 and it spreads like wildfire, sometimes there is just nothing you can do to stop it. You can't help yourself. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we did things in the kingdom of God because we cannot help ourselves? We cannot bring ourselves to do anything different than what he has taught us. Well, that's being addicted. When you can't help yourself. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, as the disciples preached the word of God, and as the authorities told them to keep their mouths shut, they said, we don't know what you feel about what we're saying. But what we're saying to you is that we cannot help but preach what we have seen and heard. There it is. Why are we doing it? Because we can't help ourselves. And it doesn't make any difference what your response is to it. We preaching it because, see, because if your response dictated how we preach it, then we'd have to stop preaching it. Some folks are going to listen, but they're not going any further than that. But the Lord has taught us both in his, his word and in his earthly ministry that the word of God must be preached regardless of how people respond to it. So I want to ask this morning, see, because I really believe we should be infectious in some good ways, and that serves as evidence of the Spirit working within us through the Word of God so that our mind is focused on the right thing and our ears begin to hear what's good and our eyes see what they should and our mouths spew words worthy to be heard and our noses even sniff out 
good works and good deeds and our hands and our feet are busy doing good things and our body is tired as a result of it. What if we were infected with kindness? What if we were infected with compassion and mercy? And as a result, we could no longer help ourselves when we show it. What if we were infected with an evangelistic spirit? What if we were infected with an addiction to the ministry of the saints and did good deeds because we couldn't help ourselves? So today, what I want to explore just for just a little while longer is, is how salvation looks for us on the right side. That's after baptism. After we've been added to the body of Christ, once we've been saved, what does salvation look like? We know what the left side looks like. I don't care how good you were raised, we all were tore up from the floor. And if you weren't, then you would have had no need for Jesus. But you came to him somewhere because you came to realize that you're a sinful individual. All of us, no exception, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, the song says. No, not one. So when we think about what salvation looks like on the other side. We'll come up with some good stuff. I want to ask you, what does it look like to be infected by love? Anybody affected, infected? Anybody got that disease today? Because we want to deal with what it looks like to be infected, sick, with love. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 8, the Bible says, Peter says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love, here's the important part. Why do we need to have fervent love for each other? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Just what does that mean? That doesn't mean that love hides them. See, because you, you, don't, you don't love if you hide your sins. David said the man who hides his sins won't prosper. So what we're talking about is when we love each other, it makes us overlook each other's shortcomings. Lord have mercy. What does it feel like to be infected with that kind of love then? That makes you look at yourself before others. 
that says when somebody has fallen, let me consider when I did the falling before pointing the finger at them. Love covers a multitude of sins. And it's in that regard that we'll be able to deal with each other in love fervently. If we're in love, if, if we're infected by love, I'm convinced our ears would be more open to the cries of the downtrodden. Both in and out of the church. If we are infected with love, maybe our eyes would better see the injustices of the world. Maybe our hands would be lifted more often to help. Maybe our feet would have a little faster gait. And maybe our hearts would be given over, sold out even, to good deeds. In terms of the rewards for generosity, because you know love expresses itself in giving. Sometimes it's giving away. I'm not talking about what you own. I'm talking about giving away in terms of sitting down and being quiet somewhere. Sometimes love will make you keep your mouth shut and listen. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, I can have all these great things that I do, but if I don't do them out of love and because of my love, it profits me Nothing. We need to be infected with love. Infected with love. There's no greater passage to suggest that than Luke chapter 6 verse 10 where the Lord says, Give and I'll give it back to you in turn. Good measure. Press down. Running over. See, I, I, I don't understand how we ain't got nobody who understands that. And you got to understand it because the Lord continues to run our cup over. Somebody ought to be able to say something. You know what it is to press down. And see, Jesus used that example because the people to whom he was speaking were accustomed to growing wheat. And when you harvest wheat, you can press it down, you know, Press it down. Press it down in the container. And every time you press it down and take the air out of it, you can put some more in. So that one container would hold a greater amount than you would anticipate. You keep pushing it down. And the Lord says, as often as you push it down, in essence, I'm going to fill it up again. And then even when you get to the point where you can't push it down no more, I'll run it over. How many of us know about Jesus running our cup over? See, we, we, when we think about God giving back to us, then that, now let's be real. We want it the same way we gave it. And this is not talking specifically or only about cash, money. But that's the way we want to receive it. That's the way we want to accept it. And there are people who don't believe that verse because they expect 
that as a result of their generosity in terms of our offering, that the Lord is going to return that by them walking out in the street somewhere and stumbling over a duffel bag full of money. For some folk, God ain't answered the prayer. He's not been true to what he said because he said, if I give, he'll give it back to me and run it over. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're still hoping that somewhere in the dark, we're going we to stumble over a bag full of money. Or it's going to come just that quick. You know, the Lord doesn't always give us exactly what we gave. He may increase your economic situation by opening a door for you to get a job that's going to pay you more than the one you got. Can we see that as a blessing? Can we see that as him running our cup over? So don't always look for cash. Look for any blessing the Lord sends that smacks of running your cup over. And all of us are doing better than we deserve. So everybody's cup, some of you may be dripping, somebody else is running over, but God doesn't lie. So what he says, he'll do. Now let me... Let me hasten because we got to talk about what does it look like to be infected with the Holy Spirit. Lord have mercy. I say this to last because, you know, folk tend to have problems with spirits. We don't do spirits well. There are people right here this morning. I don't know about no spirit. I don't believe in no Hanks, Brother Anthony. I don't believe in no ghosts and no spirit speaking to me. So some of us can't understand the working of the spirit because we just don't like talking about spirits. There's something superstitious about it. But we're talking about the spirit of God. And there's nothing superstitious about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Verse number 17, Paul told the church at Corinth, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then he tells them again in Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But he says to them, But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, then you are in the spirit. Does the spirit of God dwell in you? Oh, I especially want to ask that to those of you who are still scared of spirits. Don't you know the spirit of God lives in us? And it's not because we asked him to. God sent him because he knew we wouldn't have sense enough to ask him for what we need, for what we really need. Lord, I'll take more mammon and a little less spirit. 
It'll hit you. The Holy Spirit, I want you to understand, executes the desires of the Father and was sent by the Father to be our helper, comforter, reminder, and our teacher, according to John 14, 16 through 18 and verse 26. Whatever the Spirit does for us on earth, He does through the Word. The Word is the instrument of the Spirit's work today. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17, the Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is quick or living and powerful. That's this word that we hold in our hands today. It's quick, living, and it's powerful. And it is able to pierce even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And because it is sharper than a two-edged sword, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. So the Spirit of God helps us in our infirmities. The Spirit of God helps us when we preach the Word. But I want you to know that if you don't know the Word, hear me now. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with the Word, then it's impossible for the Spirit to remind us of what we've been taught if you don't know the Word. So we can nullify, make unpowerful the power of the Holy Spirit by not knowing the Word. So if you don't know what the scripture says about being quick to hear and slow to speak, not even the Spirit can stop your mouth. The Spirit is at work when we are reminded of what we already know in moments of decision making. I'm almost where I need to be. Now, People have been lying on the Holy Spirit for a long time now. They're straight out lying on the Holy Spirit. Saying that they received a special revelation from the Spirit of God, fresh from heaven, they say. It's stale and I don't know where it's from. But it's certainly not from heaven. There are several things the Holy Spirit cannot do. The Holy Spirit cannot deliver more revelation. When the word of God was completed, the Holy Spirit's job is not to give us something that's not in the record. So that even though it's been completed, that God just keeps teaching us stuff. Well, how is he going to teach everybody? If it's not contained in the word, how is everybody going to get it? And people say, well, you know, he, he, he came to me in a dream. 
and told me I was saved. But what's so special about you? That he does for you what he does not do for others. Acts 10 says the Lord is no respecter of persons. And I say that today because there are those out there who will teach you that you can go to heaven and that you can be saved simply by just put your hand on the radio while the preacher's preaching. Ask the Lord to come into your heart and he'll send you some kind of sign that you're all right with him. And then they start concocting stories. I, I dreamed I saw a, a, a shooting star. I dreamed I walked across hell on a spider web. I know I'm saved. That kind of foolishness is going on out there. And people continue to lie about the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's no room in there for the Spirit to speak to you by yourself. If everything we need that pertains to life and godliness is in the Word of God. Why would God share something else with you? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It, secondly, the, the Holy Spirit cannot lead us contrary to his word. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you something that contradicts what's in the word of God. It cannot contradict itself. Galatians chapter 1, you know verses 6 through 9, where Paul said to the Galatian Christians, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the gospel that I preached to you to another gospel. And then he goes on to clarify, it's not another gospel. There's really not another set of good news out there. There's only one set of good news, and that's in the Word of God. There is no better gospel. He said, but there'll be some who will trouble you and would pervert the Word of God. But though we or an angel from heaven bring you a different message than you've received, let him be accursed. And that's what we say to every man today who would profane the Lord's word. And then finally, the Holy Spirit cannot and will not force anybody to obey the gospel or to live righteously. The Holy Spirit doesn't deal like that. The Holy Spirit doesn't jump on you and make you live right. It can't do that. That's not a part of God's will. If that were the case, then it would take away all of our free will. We have free moral will given to us by God. He doesn't force us to do anything. And if he doesn't, what part of the Trinity is? Who else has the right to? So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Verse number 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So many distort the word, and people who don't know the word can't defend against false teaching because they don't recognize it when they hear it. How do you recognize false teaching if you don't know the word of God? Every one of us who reads or who have heard the word has experienced the spirit of God at work in our lives. Don't act like you don't know nothing about the spirit. You may be scared of it, but you know something about it. When we hear the word, the spirit goes to work encouraging you and me to remember what we just heard. See, some people think when the scriptures say that the Spirit is going to remind you what you've been taught, it's going to remind you what you've been taught 10, 15 years ago. It will do that too. But the Spirit will remind you of what you're listening to right now. I dare you to say we don't need to be reminded right now. We could take a break for a minute and come back and ask somebody, what's the last thing, brother? I'm going to say it in the sermon. What was the sermon about? Give me two passages that he mentioned. And I guarantee you, some of you sitting right here looking in my eyes without to say, brother, I, 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 I don't know. And you know why that is? Because we used to hearing, but not listening. We know something's being said, just what it is, I don't know, I ain't, I ain't get into it like that. And that's what it's meant when we say it goes in this ear and straight through. You know what that is? To your destruction. To your own destruction. Let me end this. It's that inner voice that we all have among many voices that speak to us. Because, you know, some folk listening to some things that we don't know nothing about. <laughs> Somebody's speaking to them from out of space or somewhere. But in the midst of everything that's trying to speak to you, there is a still, small voice. You know it. It's not about the Lord whispering in your ear. It's about that voice that exists in your core that lets you know when you're about to mess up. Doesn't it do it? Sit down as a Christian and try to plan to do something wrong and see if the scriptures won't say, mm -mm, uh, mm -mm. do you remember this right here? Oh, I know it happens because it happens to me and you know different from me. What happens when you plan planning to lie? Doesn't some voice down in here, some feelings say to you, mm, you don't need to do that. Because if you tell that one, you're going to have to tell two or three more to cover that one. Don't do that. We all have heard that still small voice. Some of us say, I'm going to pass up that advice, Holy Spirit. And others listen, but that voice is there. 
And if the spirit is living in us, we can't make it go away. Now, if it has left, if you think it has left, it's not that the spirit has left, but it's that your conscience is now in off position. You need to hook your conscience back up to the battery. And that's Jesus and his word so that you can now be convicted by what you hear. So, we know the, we know the spirit is working when the word is preached. There is no conversion without the spirit being involved. There is no conversion without the word being involved. And see, that's what leads some people to say, well, you know, everything ain't in the word. You know, some people God saved and ain't got nothing to do with the word. Where you get that from? Who said that? Who told you that? Where do you read that in the word of God? And then the Holy Spirit helps us in our times of infirmity. And that's what we're dealing with right now. To that end, Paul wrote, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we are. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When? In times of weakness. In times of infirmities. I leave that message with you today. I commend Jesus to you today. And I hope God that we're around somebody who will infect us with their love. Who will infect us and be contagious when they're around us. And that the Lord will help us to be addicted to the ministry of the saints. So how does salvation look? Well, it looks like a person in whom the spirit has moved in and refuses to go away. We offer you that, that option today. Just believe in Jesus. Believe that he is a savior, that he is, he is the savior. Be willing to confess him as Lord, to repent of your past life, to give your life over to him, and to be baptized. And then when you're baptized, according to Acts 2.38, he gives you the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do you have it? It's not what makes you shout. That's your response to the Holy Spirit's work. And that's all right. Some people just sit and do that when the Spirit is working with them. Some people do that. Some people get a little, stand, little dance going on. Whatever your response is, don't confuse it with the Spirit. That's your response to the Spirit's actions in your life. When you think about what the Spirit has done for us, that's enough to make you shout. But your shouting doesn't have to be my shouting. And my shouting doesn't have to be your. But for God's sake, there ought to be some response.